going to look at one of the uh, messages that we, we talked about an overview last week about some of the things God wants to do this year. And I mentioned to you how two words had come to me, and one of them was discipleship, and one of them was overflow. And I really felt that God wants to overflow his people, his church, but also the community of Slave Lake this year. And uh, some of the things he brought to me were the fact that he wants to overflow in the area of the economy and uh, finances. So I believe we're going to see that this year. Today I'm going to specifically look at the fact that God wants to overflow us with provision and wealth. Okay, and this is not a topic I often talk about. But uh, today, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that word money. Everybody say money. And you're like, oh, Lord, I should have stayed home. No, it's okay. We are not going to be taking any offering or anything like that. We're not talking about money in that way. Now, sometimes in church situations, people think money is a bad word, but Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. So you can't chase money. You can't love money, Okay. But we're going to talk about why does God overflow people? Why does he want to overflow you? Because he is a good God and he wants to overflow you with good things. Okay? So God overflows us with provision and wealth. So we're, our first verse is going to be Psalm 65 and verse 11. And it says, You crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness become a lush pasture, and the hillsides blossom with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep, and the valleys are carpeted with grain. They all shout and sing for joy. So here God is talking to his people and saying, I'm going to overflow you with bounty, with more than enough. And he's saying, I'm going to overflow you so much that even those areas where typically nothing grows are going to have abundance. Now, if you've ever gardened or, I mean, you could even see this maybe in your own yard. If there's a path where everybody keeps walking and it gets hard, the grass doesn't grow. Well, in their time, their produce and their increase came through fields and flocks. And he said, even on those hard paths, I'm going to cause there to be overflow and abundance. So I believe God is saying he wants to overflow you even in areas that typically don't bring increase, all right? In the business sense, some of you have businesses, all of you work at a business somewhere, God is going to bring abundance even in areas that typically don't. So get ready, expect that, God overflows. Now, why does God overflow people? Why does he want us to overflow with provision and wealth? And Obviously, as the series continues, we're going to talk about all the different things he wants to overflow us with because obviously he wants to overflow us with love and joy and so many things. We're just starting today with this specific topic. So he wants to overflow people because it's who he is. He is a good father. He's not stingy. He's not an angry God. He is a God who is happy and overflowing and wants to give good gifts to his children. Listen to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. In this scripture, God introduces himself to Abram and he is promising him a great blessing. 
It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. Everybody say extremely. God introduces himself as El Shaddai. That's the original word. And it means God Almighty or the Almighty Sufficient One. And God is saying, hey, this is who I am, and I'm going to bless you extremely. Or another version says exceedingly. And God actually speaks this to Abram more than once. He comes to him and tells him again, I'm going to bless you. It's going to be exceeding. And at one point he tells him, look up at the stars. Can you count the stars? No, I can't count the stars. That's how much I want to bless you. That's going to be the generations that follow you. Can you count the sand? No, you can't. That's how many people are going to follow in the generations to come. Because God wants to overflow him because it's who he is. So El Shaddai is the name of God. And it means the almighty sufficient one. Because you see, he is almighty and has the power to bless, protect, and overflow how he chooses. I want to make a statement that will help you remember the kind of God he is. And it's this. He is El Shaddai, not El Chipo. One person laughed at that. I'm like, I don't know. Not okay. You know, those of us who are married, sometimes one in the family is El Chipo. That's okay. But God is not. God is El Shaddai. So that's going to help you remember his name. All right? So remember that. He's El Shaddai, not El Chipo. All right. Think about it for a minute. God is a person who overflows. And church-wise, sometimes in the past, people have thought, well, if you're Christian, shouldn't you be poor? Now, you can give away everything you have if you want, and God will bless it back. That's your choice. And in times past, some have given everything and gone to a foreign land and lived, uh, you know, what we might think as poor. But often they were rich compared to the people they went to be with. But God wants to overflow people, and there's a reason which we'll get to. How many have heard of Solomon? Solomon was a king in the Bible, and when he began to reign as king, he said, you know what, I got to go and I got to pray to God because this is a big job I'm about to step into. And he said he prayed and God came to him and said, I'm going to give you whatever you want. Ask for anything. And Solomon thought about that and he said, okay, I know what I'm going to ask for. He said, Lord, I'm asking that you would give me wisdom to lead these people. And God came back to him and said, that is a great request, Solomon, because you've asked for wisdom. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm also going to bless you so abundantly that there will be no one ever again as wealthy as you. Solomon was the most wealthy leader of all time. Because you see, there's a little key here. He didn't chase wealth. He went after God and he asked for wisdom. 
Wisdom is important if you're expecting overflow from God. Because you see, without wisdom, God could pour in the finance and the wealth and it would always disappear without wisdom. Wisdom is the thing that causes wealth to grow. I'm not going to get into that too much. We're actually this year going to do a a series on finance and uh, how to look after finance and all that good stuff, but we're not looking at that today. God overflows us with provision and wealth because it's who he is, and also he overflows us with provision and wealth for his kingdom purpose. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. All right, so who gives power to get wealth? God, according to that scripture. And why does he give it? To establish his covenant, or another term we could say, for his kingdom purpose. All right, so that's why he gives it. I remember reading a story about a, a man who became a great preacher. His name was Reinhard Bonnke. Has anybody ever heard of Reinhard Bonnke? A few of you have. Well, he was uh, German descent, and he grew up in a very poor family, and he uh, actually recently passed away in 2019, but for many years he served God. Many people don't know the beginning of his story, but he had very little His dad was a pastor, and he began to feel like God had called him to preach, and his dad didn't believe it, and his mom didn't believe it. And they actually were like, I don't think it's going to be you, because Reinhard Bonnke was actually the bad kid in the family. So mom and dad were sure it couldn't be him that God was going to use. Anybody here was the bad kid in the family? (laughs) Oh, a few of you put your hands up. Good. There's a few honest people. All right. Sure. That's what he was, and so his own parents were like, no, I don't think God's going to use you. But here's the thing, God has a, a habit of using people that we don't think should be used. He even said it, I'll use the nobodies to confound the wise. I'll use people that you think are nothing to confound those that think they're something. That's how God is. So, good news, if you were the bad kid, you are the exact kind of person God's looking for. Somebody who will step out, somebody who's not afraid to do new things. Well, this Reiner Bonke was that kind of person, and God gave some vision and clearly spoke what his call was, and they were in a prayer meeting, and an older lady had a vision. She told everybody, I had this vision, and she said, I saw this little boy with a loaf of bread, and he was surrounded by people from Africa, and he was breaking pieces of bread, giving it to them, and the bread kept growing. And she turned around and she said, and it was that little boy, the little boy whose parents didn't think God would ever use him. But God had a plan. Reinhard Bonnke stepped out in faith and continued going for God, and God used him mightily. There would come a day in his ministry where in one five-day meeting, they saw 1.4 million people give their lives to Christ. I don't know if you just heard what I said, in five days. We have a vision here this year, we're like, Lord, let's see 60 people all year. In five days, 1.4 million people came to Christ. 
I'll, you should probably clap for that if you're a believer. Like, that's all right. It's okay. Now you're thinking, well, why did he do that? Because he knew that their lives would be transformed, that their future would be destined for heaven with him. That's why he brought people to Christ. And at all of his meetings, there were miracles. There were miracles of healings. There were blind eyes would be open. Cripples would be able to walk. There was always healings at his meeting because the Holy Spirit was there. But you're saying, why are you reading this about overflow? Because God overflowed him as he was faithful and obedient. And the ministry that he did required a lot of finance. The setup for meetings to be able to handle hundreds of thousands. And he was not someone who chased money, but he chased God and God provided. And he tells a story of how one time there was a great need in their ministry and it was almost $800,000 that there was a need for. And he had prayed and talked to God about it. And another well-known ministry had heard from the Lord that they needed to support him. And they came and they said, God told us to give you everything you need. We have a check here. How much do you need? And they wrote him out a check for $800,000. That's overflow. You see, when God overflows, he overflows so that we can give out to others. Because God wants us to be like him. He overflows you and I so that we can give it out to those around us, those in need, so that we can give it where our hearts are saying it needs to be given. Deuteronomy 28 verse 12 says, The Lord will send rain at the proper time for his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations. You will never need to borrow from them. And Ephesians 4, 28. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work and then give generously to others in need. So God wants to bless what you do. And work is not a bad word. Look at someone and say, work is not a bad word. Work is good for you. Okay? God blesses what he's given you to do. Okay? And he wants you to enjoy what he's given you. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 is talking to people who have been overflowed with abundance. And it says this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Hold on. Let's stop right there. God wants you to enjoy your life. Did you know that? He didn't come to make life horrible. Oh, I'm a Christian. Now I can't do anything. That's not what he came for. He came to give you an abundant life and for you to enjoy it. Enjoying life is a good thing. If you're not enjoying your life, I challenge you, if you're a believer, pray about it. Lord, why am I not enjoying my life? You said I should. If you're not a believer, then of course I want you to Pray and ask Christ into your life that he can help you enjoy it. How many here have ever said, I hate my work? For sure, right? We've probably said that at times. Now, maybe it was a bad day, but if you're saying that on a regular basis, then there's an issue. You're not enjoying what God has for you. And if you on a regular basis hate your job, 
I'm going to say pray about where God actually wants you and what your actual gifts are. Because if you're doing something you're gifted at, you're going to enjoy it, even if you've got rough people around you, okay? So make sure you're enjoying what God has given you to do. Now, when we talk about overflow coming so that we can give to others, it reminds me of a story in the Bible. And it was in Old Testament times. And there was a city of people. Now, the city had been surrounded by an enemy army. And the enemy armies in those days, you know, they didn't just run up the walls and let's have everybody get shot with arrows. They'd just surround the city so nobody could go out and nobody could come in. That means pretty soon there's no food in the city. So that's what happened. People in the city began to starve. They were starving to the point that someone would give their life savings for a piece of bread. They were eating animal waste. And it even got so horrible that a couple of people ate one of their babies. We're talking horrible stuff. The king of that city got really angry when he heard this. And he said, you know what? It must be the preacher's fault. Well, they called him prophets back then. It must be his fault because he talked about this and said this would happen if we didn't serve God. So it's his fault. So he wanted to see the prophet killed. But when he came, the prophet already knew he was coming and God had already spoke to him. And he said, listen, you know why this has happened? But God has said that by this time tomorrow, so in other words, within about 24 hours, by this time tomorrow, you will be able to have whatever you want. You will be able to buy food for almost nothing. And a guy who was with the king said, yeah, as if. This guy's crazy. That is impossible. He actually said, even if the heavens opened up, you can't have that happen. This guy's a liar. The prophet said, it will happen. You'll see it. Now, in case you're wondering, like, what would that be like in our day and time? That would be like me saying, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be able to buy gas for 25 cents a liter. Yeah, that's impossible. I know. Okay, that was not prophetic, by the way, in case anybody's wondering. Don't, don't come tomorrow and say, he lied. I'm just trying to keep you with me here. Okay, it's impossible in the natural. Now, God was ready to overflow an entire city, but he got people involved. Because you see, whenever God wants to overflow, he gets people involved. And in this story, there were four lepers on the outside of the city, because lepers had skin disease, and they were thought of as unclean, so they were not allowed in the city, and you couldn't go close to them. So people would just bring food, set it out there for them. Now, obviously, when people are starving, they're not bringing food to the lepers, are they? When people start starving or things aren't going well, the first thing they do is stop giving, usually. And this was the case. And so these four lepers were talking to each other, and they're like, okay, if we stay sitting here, we're going to die. If we go into the city and look for food, there's none and we're going to die. They weren't allowed in the city. They'd be stoned. But even if they went, there's no food. They said, but what about if we go towards the enemy's camp and see if they will feed us? You know, if they don't feed us and they shoot us with arrows, well, we're just going to die. So in other words, they had three options. They all ended in death, except one might not. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty scary. But here's the thing. Here is the cool part of this story. And I'm going to bring this to you for a reason. If you're expecting overflow from God, you cannot sit and do nothing. 
That's not how overflow comes. Overflow comes by taking a step in the direction that he's leading you. Okay? Overflow does not come sitting, doing nothing. So they got up. And scripture, you can read it, says that this certain time in the day, they got up and started walking towards the enemy's camp. A little later on, you can read, and it says, at the same time, this huge enemy army surrounding the city heard a noise. And in their ears and in their mind, they could hear the rumble of a huge army coming towards them. They got so fearful, they began to run. An entire army that was surrounding the city ran for their lives. They didn't take their, uh, their spoils. They took not their tents. They left food cooking. They ran for their lives. And it was only four lepers coming. Because when you step out for God, the enemy's going to run. The four lepers get to the camp. They're kind of like, well, I guess we're not going to die. Nobody's here. They eat because they're starving. They also see garments and gold. Because you see, these enemy armies were going all through the country taking spoils. There was amazing food and wealth, and they take some of this stuff, and they go bury it, and they're just like, this is unbelievable. And all of a sudden, they realize, wait a minute. This overflow is not just for us. There's enough here for the whole city. we got to go tell them. When God overflows you, it's not just for you. Okay? It's for you to give to others around you and to help and to bless. So they went back and tell the city, and to finish up this story, because I don't have a lot of time today, an entire city is eating and banqueting, and you know what? You could buy food for next to nothing. Because God, when he overflows, doesn't fool around. Now, my final point, which I'm going to try to wrap up fairly quick, because my final points are sometimes long, but it says this, we play a part in God overflowing us. I'm going to read a scripture from Malachi, and some of the things I'm going to talk about, kind of do it as briefly as I can, are for believers, are mature believers, okay? So if you're visiting here today, uh, you know, that's okay, just this is for the, the mature believers. But Malachi 3 verse 8 says this, Should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Again, he's talking to believers who knew about giving, okay? And uh, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be food enough in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. So overflow would come when they were obedient. So not obeying God brings a curse. Obeying Him brings abundant blessing. Now again, I'm talking here in this next little bit for believers. If you're serving God, then God has said that a tenth of what He gives you, a tenth of your increase, belongs to Him. It's called the tithe. So I'm going to answer just a few quick questions on the tithe. Often I have people well, let's, how should I say this? I sometimes avoid this topic because, well, I don't like getting people upset because I don't like people mad at me. That's kind of selfish, isn't it? But anyhow, God says when you're a preacher, you've got to preach the truth because it helps people. So what is the tithe? 
The tithe was 10% of a person's material increase. Okay, so for them it was their produce or finance if they sold stuff. 10% belonged to the Lord. Now, someone has asked this in the past, is volunteering the same as tithing, if I volunteer my time? Well, I want to tell you, we want all of you to volunteer and sign up. That's awesome. Uh, And God blesses when you volunteer, but it can't be your tithe because the tithe is increase of material uh, wealth, I guess you would say, okay? And you can't increase your time. But when you do give time, God blesses in many ways. That's who he is. But no, it's not your tithe. Uh, Here's one. Some people have asked, where should I tithe? Okay? Uh, Bottom line, the church you regularly attend and are a part of, or your home church, is where you tithe. Scripture talks about tithing. It's the storehouse, and it's where you worship. Okay? Now, all other giving that you feel to do or God leads you to do would be called an offering above the tithe. So if you're feeling, well, I'm, I need to give to an, another church or a church that I used to go to, then that would be an offering. But your tithe belongs where God's placed you, where you live, your home church. All right? I've actually had a number of people over the years uh, tell me that, well, I tithe somewhere else. And typically I don't really want to talk about that question because I'm like, they're going to get upset at me if I tell them what Scripture says. But Scripture does say you tithe where God's placed you. Uh, I did have someone one time tell me, well, we feel like that we're missionaries from the church we used to be in, and we're just missionaries here. Now, the thing about that, if you know anything about missionaries in Scripture and nowadays, if you're a missionary from another church, they fully support you. So they meet your financial needs, not the other way around. Okay, so you couldn't actually be a missionary. Now, it may be more like an explorer, I guess. And if you're not feeling like this is your home yet, or you're more exploring, right? And explorers would go to other lands, and they would bring back the wealth and the goods, right? But at some point, explorers became pioneers, and they said, this is my home. And missionaries, by the way, when they go to other lands, they make it their home. Did you know that? Missionaries will give their lives for other people. So I, I just see it's a, a little bit of a misunderstanding about that topic. But please understand, God can put on your heart to give anywhere, to give to any church anywhere in the world, and that would be an offering above your tithe. So if God's putting that on your heart, it means he knows you can afford to do even more than just that 10%. All right, so I want to just leave that alone now. Thank you for the mature people who are able to understand that. Now, for me, tithing has been something God showed me actually many years ago, and I really believe it's important. And uh, so my wife and I have always tithed. I had a number of years where I had no source of income. We were just doing ministry where you travel around, and God always met our needs. And I always tithed, and I like to give more than what the 10% was because I said, you know, God can do it. Well, recently, we had a little situation. You guys probably had some of the same situation as me, but we got this massive power and gas bill. And I'm like, what? Where did this come from? I wasn't expecting this. We paid all our stuff because I got paid in the middle of the week. And then uh, the weekend came, and I usually give at a debit machine. Other people give online so they can do it right away. Some people make it automatic. I'm still old school. But anyways, so the weekend came, and I'm like, well, there's no money. I told my wife, there's like nothing. Like, we can't even go in the hole anymore. 
And uh, I told her, well, do you know what? The tithe belongs to him, and I know I'm supposed to give it at my home church. In case you're wondering, pastor's tithe, too. Okay. And uh, I told her, you know what? I, I want to take it out of savings because it's that important. You know, I didn't have enough of a cushion for this unexpected, so I'm going to do that. And my wife said, yeah, go ahead and do it. And you know what? God is always faithful. So I believe it's that important, and God has shown me that, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to overflow you because that's who I am. So for me, every time money comes in, I tithe to my home church. And when I do that, I'm saying to the Lord, go ahead, open the windows of heaven, and pour me out a blessing that I can't contain it. You see, I don't just give and be like, oh, there goes some more money. I'm like, okay, God, you said it. I'm holding you to your word. Here's my tithe. Go ahead, open the windows of blessing. And he does in different ways. But also, every time money comes in, I tithe to my home church, and I'm saying to myself, to my family and the Lord, I'm saying this, I serve God, not money. Because you see, Scripture says that you can't serve money and God. And every time I give him the first part, I'm like, nope, money, you don't rule my life. Because, man, it's easy to let money rule our lives. Luke 6, 38, and this is my last verse. I'm going to wrap it up. Now, Luke 6, 38 says, Give and you receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. All right. I want to read you a story from this little book. The story is called Old Red. And there's a pastor who wrote the story, and he says this, and I'm going to do... The pastor who wrote it said, When I was in Bible school, my wife and I would go out into the middle hills of Missouri every Sunday morning, and I would preach in a one-room schoolhouse. Farmers from all over the area would come. One little precious lady, 83 years of age, would walk three miles, take her stockings off, wade through a creek just to come hear me preach. Even I wouldn't do that to hear me preach. I was still learning how. This guy actually was a good preacher, but... Uh, she invited us to her home for dinner, and she told us to park the car when we got to the creek, walk the rest of the way. We took our shoes off. We waded through that creek just like she did every Sunday. But that Sunday morning, I was preaching on a difficult doctrinal subject, tithing. And I said, 10 cents out of every dollar you ever get, a hold of belongs to God. And they sat there with smiles on their faces, which I knew was the wrong reaction. I wasn't getting the message through to them. So I said it again, and still everyone's smiling. He said, I realized they don't have money. They're all farmers who live off the land. You know, you shoot squirrels and eat the food. So he said, God, give him another way. And he said, listen, if you have 10 cows, one of them belongs to God. All the smiles left. I knew they understood it now. And he said, if you have 200 acres, 20 of them belong to God. After the service, a red-headed farmer came up to me, hands in his overall pockets, and he said, so, if my chickens lay 100 eggs every day, does God get 10 of the eggs? I said, you got the message, brother. It's gratifying to know you got the message. Without batting an eyelash, he looked me right in the eye and said, you're not getting any of my eggs. Them chickens aren't laying anyways. <laughs> I said, you know why those chickens aren't laying? Because you're robbing God. Those poor chickens can't even live a normal life. I didn't know how right I was. Remember, I was just learning. He looked at me and said, You mean to tell me if I give God what belongs to him, 
Those chickens will lay more eggs. Wait here. He got in his pickup truck, went back to the farm and brought a brown sack full of eggs. He laid it down at the altar, the front of the church. He came back to me, hands still in his pockets and said, are you going to be here next Sunday? I said, yes, sir. And he said, this better work. (laughs) Oh, good thing it says you can test God. I was young in the Lord and I didn't know whether it was going to work. I spent a lot of time that week praying for his chickens that they would lay lots of eggs. As I came the next week, I asked my wife, do you see anybody standing at the schoolhouse? That's where they had church. She said, I believe somebody's there. I said, does it have red hair? (laughs) Sure enough, it was red waiting for me, but I couldn't see his face. I didn't know if he was mad or glad. I brought my old DeSoto to a halt and I pulled on the emergency brake. Old Red came running to the car. I don't ever like to be at a disadvantage, so I jumped out of the car. He grabbed hold of me and started dancing me around that DeSoto. Preacher man, it worked. He cried, praise God, it worked, it worked. I breathed easy for the first time all week. Then I looked around and said, hold it, Red, wait. Where's the tithe? I believed I had a right to ask it. And he said, if we made this thing work, where's the tithe? Hands still in his overalls, he said, in there. He said, I brought them early today. I walked into the one-room schoolhouse, and sitting in front of the altar was a whole crate of eggs, 25 dozen. I looked at him and said, what did you do, bring them all? His hands were still in his overalls, and he said, just the tithe, preacher, just the tithe. From a brown sack to 25 dozen. He threw his arms around me and said, preacher, I ain't going to rob God no more. I looked at him and said, me neither. I believe we've all had an apple out of that bag. Then we wonder why we're not blessed. God rewards obedience.